0: We would see how to understand it. And, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, would do what I can't do. Lord, I pray you would take your word. And, Lord, we thank you that you promise that it will not return void. And, God, I pray today that we would grow in the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, Today, we're gonna to focus on verse 28, Hebrews 11:28. 28. We've been looking at the faith of Moses and the title of the sermon this morning is trusting in God's provision. Trusting in God's provision. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to just read the verse that we're gonna be focusing on. It says in verse 28, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Today, we're going to be looking at the Passover. We're going to be thinking about the blood of the lamb. We're going to be thinking about how this relates to us. Uh, We're going to be thinking about how does this tie into the Lord's Supper? How do we see a connection between the Passover to Christ? How do we see faith that's exhibited by Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel as they not only follow the Passover meal, but they institute the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lentil? How does this all connect to us? How do we see this relevant to us in our lives as Christians under the new covenant thousands of years after Moses went through this first Passover. And it's important as we do this and to understand what we've been looking at. If you go back a few verses to verse 23 of chapter 11, what you see is these phrases, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, four times. It mentions that in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And we see that his parents hid him, and they hid him by faith. They, they did it in a way of exercising faith in God. We see the next instance of that in verse 24. We see by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, he, he trusted God. He, he sought the following of God more than the prestige of, of Egypt. He, he sought to be identified with God's people more than to take advantage of the pleasures of this world. Not only by faith was he hidden, by faith he refused. We see in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt. And last time we were together, two weeks ago, I mentioned to you that this seems to be the culmination, not of when he first left Egypt to go to Midian, but really uh, the summary of, of when he actually left Pharaoh, a man that had made it clear that if he could get his hands on Moses, he would kill him if he ever saw him again. He left in faith. He left Egypt in faith in God. And then today we see this fourth instance where it's used. By faith, he kept the Passover. It's interesting because uh, this word kept, it it speaks about the establishment (coughs) of a ceremony, the establishment of of this, this ritual that God is calling them to take. And it's in the perfect tense. And you may be like, What does that mean? Well, it's an action in the Greek in the past that has continuous results in the present. And one of the things that you see that appears to be happening here is that by faith, he trusted that this was indeed going to be a ongoing ritual, an ongoing feast that was going to take place in the life of the people of Israel. And to do that, I want you to think Here you are, and you're in slavery to the Egyptians, and you have seen God perform nine plagues to this point. And every plague that God has performed, Pharaoh has doubled down and basically said, I will not let your people go, and I am not going to comply with what God has done. And in each instance, over and over and over, yet in the midst of this, he does what? he does exactly what Hebrews 11.1 says. He takes hold of future realities because he believes in the promise of God. And I want you to see that because by faith he kept the Passover. We're going to see by faith he sprinkled the blood. He trusted in the provision that God had provided. He trusted that God was going to do what he said he would do. He trusted that the destroyer that would come upon literally the houses and the homes of Egypt and literally come over through the land there where the children of Israel were. He trusted that they would be safe because of the promise and the fulfillment of what God said he would do if the people followed his command. And so when we look at that, it's important for us today as we examine verse 28, it's important that we go back into the storyline. You know, we we get here, and we're at the 10th plague. You may not be able to read this. I tried to uh, put it on the screen so you can see this, but if you can't, it's okay. My eyes aren't good either. Um, But but every one of these plagues, and I'm not going to go through each one, every one of the plagues that God raised up correspond to one of the Egyptian gods. And this is significant. You know, you look at all the different plagues, and I'm not going to read through them, But every one of them, if you can see the screen, you get a sense that each one that God raised up was demonstrating that the gods of Egypt were false, that the gods of Egypt could not compare to the the wonder of of Yahweh. They could not even come close. And so you see that in not only one through four, but you see it in five through eight. And, And all the way down, it's important to understand that God was demonstrating who he was in the midst of a culture that didn't understand God. In the midst of a culture, you know, if you think about it, we we live in a culture that is filled with ideas about God. And so often, even when people on social media talk about Jesus or talk about God or talk about prayer, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by how they convey who he is? And and what we find is, is that God is glorified through people that walk by faith. And as people that he calls walk by faith, they actually become a vessel through which his life and his glory is seen in the midst of a culture that is pagan. I've talked about this before, but uh, it's easy to get discouraged when you live in a culture that has gone crazy. And when you live in a culture that has embraced foolishness and literally some of the absurdities that we're looking at in our culture, in our school systems are absolutely mind-blowing and it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if this happens? Or what are we going to do if this happens? But it's, it's so comforting as the people of God to look in history that God is not mocked by the pagan notions of a culture that has forsaken him. That God is glorified through his people as they trust in his promises and they trust in his fulfillments. Isn't that comforting? It's comforting because I don't care how crazy the sexual revolution goes in America. That is not our hope Is a culture that is going to operate in line. That's not our hope. Our hope is in God, and our hope is in his word. Our hope is in his promises, and we can be comforted because throughout history, all the way back to the time of the plagues and all the way back to the time of Egypt and Moses, we see that God is going to be faithful to the remnant, and God is going to be faithful to keep his promise, and God is going to work through his people regardless of the whims of the day. So this morning, when we look at this, we are reminded of what is taking place. If you've got your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 11. And in Exodus chapter 11, we're going to walk through this. It's going to be important because this one little verse is really relying on so much of the biblical story. Hebrews is written to a Jewish Christian audience. They would have been very well versed into the story here. But it's important that we are reminded in chapter 11 of Exodus, in verse 4, we see something develop. From 11 verse 4 all the way to chapter 12 verse 20, we see God reveal his provision, and we also see God reveal the judgment that is coming. And what we're going to look at as we look at the narrative is we see not only God's revelation, but we see the people of Israel and their response to God in accordance with his revelation. And then we see how God's promise and fulfillment comes true. We look, and I'll read a few of these verses. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. But in chapter 11, starting in verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry, Throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. You know, it's interesting and fitting that if you're going through the study with us on the side, this study of fundamentals of the faith, this week we looked at God's character and his attributes. And it's really important that uh, we know how God reveals himself in his word. Because again, um, it's sort of like the whole notion of how do we pray if we don't know how God's revealed himself? We can pray in many different ways, but if we're not careful, we'll pray like pagans because we don't understand that God has revealed himself in a certain way in which we now respond to him in prayer. Does that make sense? And when we think about this, God has revealed his character, and, and it's impossible to understand the judgment of God without understanding all of God's attributes on display together. A lot of people, when they look at the Old Testament and they see the judgment of God, they depict God in a certain way that is independent of how God has revealed himself in its entirety and who he is in his character. And one thing that we will never understand if we don't understand the holiness of God, and if we don't understand the depravity of man, if we don't understand the scriptural understanding of Romans 1, that mankind are not neutral, well-meaning creatures, but mankind has committed an act of treason against God in the way they respond to his righteousness that's been revealed. And because we begin to get the building blocks of the, of who God is and how he's revealed himself, then and only then can we begin to see the holiness of God, and then and only then can we begin to understand how the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And we see that here. The Egyptians had walked in such a way as to defy God. Their, their worship of pagan gods was not some innocent mistake. The scripture speaks of depravity at the core that actually is illustrative of how men and women turn from God and do their own thing, their own way. And so we have to understand that God now has revealed that he's going to judge the people. And as you read from verse 4 all the way down to verse 10, you you see the, the promise that he would go out, the firstborn in the land would die. We see that the status or the prestige of the individual doesn't release them from the judgment of God, whether it is the firstborn of Pharaoh are the firstborn of a slave. Or in here, we see that the extent of the judgment of God is going to be seen even on the firstborn of the cattle. In all of this, it's it's clear that there's going to be a great cry within the land of Egypt as the judgment of God falls down on people. And, And this is where we have to be careful because so often when we seek to portray God, we want to do it in a way that only speaks about the love of God. But if we don't understand how the holiness of God works with the love of God, we'll never understand how judgment accompanies the entire character of God. And it's critical that we see this. Because there's going to be no distinction made amongst Pharaoh's firstborn, the slave's firstborn, but there will be a distinction made between the people of God and the people of the world. And we see this take place in 11 verses 4 through 10. We move into chapter 12. As we move into chapter 12, we see in the first three verses, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. It's interesting because we begin to see these, uh, these foreshadowings Of what we learn in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We begin to see all of these things. We'll see it in a moment as we look at some of the connectors as to how the New Testament community would understand the Passover in light of what God had done in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. But what we look at here is we see this this picture of, of what's taking place, that there would be a sacrificial lamb represented from every family. We'll see in other parts of this later that if one family needed to combine with another household, there could be one lamb for both. It was stipulated according to what God had required. And we see that in verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The summary of verses 12, four through 6 is we see that they're going to take this 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 lamb from the sheep or the goats on the tenth, they'll keep it for four days, and the sacrifice will take place on the fourteenth day. We then read in verses seven through ten, we see that they're taking blood, they're putting it on the doorpost. They're going to put it on the lintel of the door above the doorpost on the sides, and then you got the top, the lintel. They'll eat the flesh that night. They'll roast it on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they'll eat it. They won't eat it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. None of it would remain until morning, and anything that did remain until morning should be burned. We see on in verses 11 through 13 in the way that they should eat it. It's very clear and very specific. They're to eat it with their belt fastened. They're to eat it with sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And then again, we see the revelation that God would pass through, strike all the firstborn, both man and beasts, and on all the gods of Egypt, he would execute judgments. And then it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are And we see, and many of you are familiar with this story from Sunday school, maybe in in what we've been looking at as a church, as we've been talking about biblical theology in Sunday school classes, that, that when the blood was seen, the people would be passed over and that no plague would befall you or destroy you when God would strike the land of Egypt. So many things here that you see. You see God's revelation. God revealed how he would judge, and God revealed how he would provide a substitute. God revealed provision through the lamb, through the blood of the lamb, through the sprinkling of the blood of the lamb. They would take the hyssop, like a small shrub, and, and, and many, like, and, and collect the, the blood Many say in a bowl, and they would take that shrub, that hyssop, and they would, they would take the blood, they would put it on the doorpost and on the lentil. So we see God's revelation, but what were the responses of Moses and the people? We go to verse 21 of chapter 12. And we get into verse 21 of chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, that bowl, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever, and when you come to the land, that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. I love this. Look at the next phrase in verse 27 that ends the verse. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And this is phenomenal because you begin to see the faith of the people. Because look at verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. It reminds me of when um, this popped in my head, when, when Gideon, I always think of Gideon and I think of Gilligan. And, and Gideon, you know, he, he, he's a picture and gives us hope, you know, because he was, uh, you know, hiding in the wine press when the Lord called him. And Gideon was called to go down amongst the camp of the enemy. And what did he do? The Lord said, if you're scared, you know, take your buddy. And he's like, yeah, absolutely, I'm taking him. And what happens? They go down into the camp, and there he is. And and you can see the scene, and, and there he is, and his friends with him. He's scared out of his mind, just like we all would have been, apart from the grace of God. And what happens? He hears the people in the tents, and as he hears their words, it reveals to him that God was going to protect them. And what did he do? He bowed and he worshiped. And here are these people. You know, the I, I tell you, there, there's a remnant of the people of Israel, even though we can relate to all the knuckleheads in the group. There's a remnant that God keeps working. And here, as they are in slavery to the Egyptians, and as they have gone through all of this oppression, and now that God's revealing his plan and what he will do, The people hear it and they're in awe and they bow and they worship God and then they go and they follow the commands of what they're to do according to the ceremony that God has prescribed. What faith? They believed. Well, they wouldn't worship God at that point if they didn't believe that God was actually going to do what he said he would do. So we see some key points here that I want us just to make sure we're aware of. We see God revealing his provision and God revealing his judgment. He lays it out. And we see that God reveals what they're to do. God reveals what his plan is. But then we see Moses and the people's response. We see their response. We see the trust and dependence and belief in what God had laid out. But now, because we are given the luxury of seeing the entirety of the story, we see God's provision and judgment. Go to chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. In verse 29, at midnight, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. We know from our text in Hebrews what happened to the people. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And before we see the reality of what took place that night, as the death destroyer came through the area, what does it say back in verse twenty-seven? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. He passed over the houses. This is the promise that God gave. I can't imagine the 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 just the adrenaline that would have been taking place amongst the people in the houses, the moms and the dads in these houses, and there they are, and as they're in the house, and can you imagine the scene if you even were to sleep? I guess faith would put you to sleep because faith could believe and rest in the promise of God, but I have a feeling that uh, a lot of us would have one eye open through the middle of the night, and all of a sudden we hear the cries of the people and a cry that can only be the anguish of a parent who's lost a child. The cry that is so different from any other cry. And at that moment, can you imagine the, the, the desire at that point, and we don't know, we can speculate, you know, we, to get up immediately and to go check your firstborn in the house. We've all done that when our kids are sleeping, you know, you wanna make sure they're breathing, you wanna make sure they're moving, You want to look in there, and I do that all the time. You know, I walk by, and some of them sleep so still, I have to wait a while before I see them moving a little bit. And and you look at them, but can you imagine the joy, and can you imagine the, oh, you have little faith moments that were taking place amongst the people of Israel when they looked into their firstborn, and they see that they're fine and that they're breathing, all because they took God at his word. And they were covered, and they were protected by the sprinkling of the blood of the lamb. We look at this, and and this is going to be critical, because if we had time, we could go through the Old Testament, and we could see story after story of how the people kept the Passover. We're going to see it a little bit later as we get into the Lord's Supper. But every time, if the kid were to ask Every time they went through the meal, every time they said, why are we eating this? What's taking place? What does this represent? The mom and the dad would look at the little one and say, oh, you need to understand that God released us from bondage and slavery in Egypt because God provided a provision of a blameless, spotless lamb, and the blood was sprinkled on the doorpost and the lentil and we were protected from the destroyer. Every year, it would be a reminder of the faithfulness of God. You know, when we look at this passage, the author at this point does not tie this directly to Jesus. It doesn't explicitly here say, okay, and just as Moses looked and trust of the Passover lamb that God had provided. Christ is your Passover lamb. But we have to remember something. We have to remember that Hebrews is not just starting in Hebrews 11 verse 1. And we have to remember something that God has spoken and God is speaking through the revelation that he's given in the New Testament. And I believe with all my heart, I can't prove it, but I believe with all my heart that the readers and the hearers of the book of Hebrews would have understood the connections that would have been implicit within his writing because of the themes of Scripture and because of what Scripture reveals. I want to remind you of what Hebrews has already told us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The blameless, spotless, perfect one, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. Look at Hebrews 9.12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You know, the one thing that if you haven't been with us in Hebrews that we keep referencing is that Hebrews, and I know that we have like sort of like stalled out in Hebrews 11. This is so rich, and we just sort of stopped for a while. But I pray you're seeing the forest from the trees as we think about the entire context of the book. And, And we're looking at a book where these people are tempted to, uh, to revert and go back to Judaism. And he's telling them, he's like, why would you go back? Why would you ever leave? Where are you going back? You know, he's going back and he's tracing the fathers and he's tracing the patriarchs. And he's saying, these are people that walk by faith. These are people not justified by their works. They're justified by faith. They're justified by faith in the promises of Messiah that would come. And in all of this, he's been tracing the fact that Jesus is the substance and the Old Testament is a shadow. And the shadow is finding its fulfillment in, not in the law itself, but in the work of Christ. And so everything we've been seeing, how Jesus is the greater tabernacle, Jesus is the greater temple, Jesus is the greater prophet, Jesus is greater than the angels, Jesus is greater, he's greater, he's greater. Every one of these these, these, these comparisons, I think at this point for us not to see how Jesus fulfills the Passover would be negligent. For us not to consider in a book of how he's establishing the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is the great high priest, how Jesus sheds his blood, his perfect blood, we see in Hebrews 9.14 how much more with the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You might be thinking, like, how does the scripture connect the Passover lamb to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill the Passover lamb? I want you to think about this for a second. And I'm gonna just go through it. If you got a pen and you wanna write these down, I'm gonna give you 10. We're gonna fly. Her. We're gonna move. Number one, the Passover lamb's a type of Christ. Um, the people would take a lamb, Exodus 12, 3, according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household. But what does it say in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are in leaven for Christ, our what? Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You remember when Jesus appears on the scene and John the Baptist makes this announcement, Jesus comes towards him and said, "'Behold the Lamb of God, "'who takes away the sins of the world.'" So he was not only you know, the Passover lamb, but he was a male of the first year. You know, when you think of a male of the first year, how would Jesus fulfill that? for a a lamb in the first year, a a sign of vitality and strength. I was reading an old sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon really goes on about this, and he talks about how a lamb is strong and strengthened in that first year of of, of life, and, and how Jesus was in the prime of his ministry, the prime of his life when he was called into this specific ministry that God had appointed for him. And we see that he was a male, obviously. The, the, the revelation of God is for to us, a child is born. To us, what? A son is given. You keep going here and you see the next obvious one. He was not only the lamb that typified the Passover lamb, he was not only the male of the first year, but he was a lamb without blemish. And we see that in Exodus 12.5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old but what do we read about in the scripture that speaks about he was without blemish first peter 1:19 but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot it is it, fun to look at this because you see that there's no way to escape the fact that the passover lamb that was offered at that first passover at the 10th plague was completely pointing to the fulfillment in the future of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be slain for our sins. You, you keep going here, and it, it keeps getting richer and richer and richer. He was taken out of the flock, and that's what verse 5 says of the Exodus 12. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, but what did we learn about the majesty of Christ? He, in a sense, was taken out of the flock, Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In Hebrews 2, 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Uh, the next one is really fascinating. Spurgeon mentions this one. What day of the month would they take the lamb? They would take the lamb on the 10th day of the month, but they wouldn't sacrifice the lamb until the 14th. And many speculate here, you know, that would have been a time where they can actually examine the lamb. They can examine that which they have picked and that which they have chosen to make sure that it meets the requirements of everything that it needs to meet. And, and, And Spurgeon gets into this because Jesus was examined, I love this. Listen to some of this. He says, it was during, he says, it is singular to relate that Jesus Christ was examined by all classes of persons. There was a four day period right there before he goes to the cross. It was during those four days that the lawyer asked him which was the greatest commandment. It was then that the Herodians came and questioned him about the tribute money. It was then that the Pharisees tempted him. It was then also the Sadducees tried upon him, the subject of the resurrection. He was tried by all classes and grades, Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, and the common people. It was during these four days that he was examined. But how, he says, did he come forth? And he says, an immaculate lamb. He was examined. He he was killed by the people just as a lamb was killed by the people. In Exodus twelve six, you see that the lamb was killed. And what do we learn in the book of Acts? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. He was killed in the evening. It says in Exodus twelve six that they would kill the lambs at twilight. In Mark 15, what happens? And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. You see and you remember that passage in Mark, killed in the evening. We go on and on and on. Blood that had to be shed, Exodus 12. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. And and all of this, what what did Jesus say? And we're getting ready to take of the Lord's Supper. And I want us to see, and we're going to tie this in here. But likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is what? Poured out for you. And the cup is representative and brings us back to the reminder of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ the blood that was sprinkled, you know, blood that was sprinkled. We think of 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, He goes on, and and at the end of 1 Peter 1, 2, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And and, and what we find is, is the reality that the destroyer, which reminds us of the wrath of God, the judgment of God. We're reminded that what takes place, the destroyer would come, and remember as he speaks about these people in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 that outwardly professed something they didn't inwardly possess. And in Hebrews 10, he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who is what? Trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned, The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. And if you want to see one more to leave you with in the connection to Jesus as the Passover lamb, isn't this remarkable? What was to happen with the lamb? It was to be clear that you shall not break any of its bones. And what did we read at the crucifixion of Jesus? For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And you see 1 Corinthians 5, 7, but I want you to think of something this morning. We're wrapping things up as we get ready to move into Lord's Supper. We're not there yet. I want you to think, okay, God revealed his provision and he revealed upcoming judgment. And then we see Moses and the people respond to God's revelation and they trusted in what God had said and they acted in faith. And then we see the people secure. I want us to tie that now to how the word of God has spoken to us through the Scripture about the provision of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to think about something, because what we see here is God has laid down His Word, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, I think we're not in John three fourteen. It's not saying, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so now you need to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And put the blood of the lamb on the lentil. No, that's not what it says. Why? Because as we move to the New Testament, we're seeing the substance of what this whole Passover is representing. That greater than the need of the children of Israel to receive rescue from slavery in Egypt, the greater need is for people to receive rescue from the the binds and the shackles of sin. And what does the scripture reveal? And what has God revealed in his word? He's revealed, you know, like if we had been a part of the people of Israel and Moses and Aaron would have called out to us and said, look, everybody, God is going to judge the people of Egypt and the firstborns. The destroyer is going to come through. But I want you to understand, God has made a way. God has made a way of rescue. If you trust in his provision, if you trust in the sprinkling of the blood of the lamb, and you follow what God has revealed, you will be safe as a result of trusting in the provision of God. But I want you to put that into the terms of today. The scripture calls out to us and the scripture wants us to understand that the reality of a destroyer is real. The reality of the judgment of God is real. It's upon us the reality of the judgment and the condemnation upon those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But here's what I want you to see. God has made provision in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I pray that you would see and I pray that you would ask yourself, am I protected by the sprinkling of the blood upon my heart? Am I protected? Am I safe? Am I safe from all the judgment and the condemnation, the destruction of sin? Am I safe because of God's grace by faith through grace in Christ, by grace through faith in Christ alone, rescued from the condemnation of sin? You see, this morning, we're not safe from the condemnation of sin because we're good people. We're not safe from the condemnation of sin because we really try hard to be ethical, moral, good citizens. No, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And friend, today, Hebrews is calling us to see that it's the grace and the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive salvation and forgiveness from sin. Today, is the blood of the lamb applied to your heart? You may be like, well, how does that work? How would the blood of the lamb be applied to my heart? Well, the scriptures made it clear that whosoever believes on him, whoever trusts in him, whoever depends on him, Whoever puts their stock and their hope and their dependence upon the provision that God has provided in Christ will be saved. You know, we trust and we obey and we find that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We rejoice just as the people rejoiced of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentil. We now say to what? We say for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But just as the destroyer destroyed the people of Egypt that did not have the blood applied, we read in Hebrews, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, we, believe, we read in John three thirty six. whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And here's the dilemma to see. The dilemma is that this is not a neutral response time. This is the revelation just as Moses would have declared to the people that if the blood of the lamb is not covering the doorpost and the lintel of your house, the destroyer will come and judge you. And we see here that apart from the blood of Jesus Christ and believing in his sacrifice. We face the wrath of God. Psalm says what? Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And what a fitting time today to come to the Lord's table. And, and you may not know this and if you don't, I'm, I'm thrilled to share it with you. The First time I heard this as a Christian, I was an adult. And I'm marveled. I grew up in church, but I just never connected it. You realize that when we have the, the, the last supper, what is the timing of the last supper? Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And do you realize, friends, that it was at that Passover? Now think about it. They eat the meal. They eat the meal. And as they eat the meal, God had instituted the Passover for the people to remember what? For the people to remember God's faithfulness who delivered them from the people of Egypt. And it was at that last supper, as they ate of the Passover, that Jesus instituted a new meal that would characterize the people of the new covenant. And Jesus was announcing to them, in paraphrase, this meal is not a celebration of your deliverance from Egypt. This meal is a celebration of your deliverance from the bondage of sin. Praise be to God. I tell you, it's interesting, and not to jump ahead, but I think you'll be excited about it. It's like you realize that there's another meal that's coming in the future. It's the feast at the marriage supper of the lamb. When we come to the Lord's table, we are celebrating and remembering what God has done for us in Christ. And we look forward to the reality of what's coming for us in the future. But friend, I want you to think today. You know, you may have been at church many times. It's amazing how God speaks and clarifies so many truths in the Bible with word pictures. You know, I, I, need, I need. I was one of those kids growing up that needed. If you're not, if you're not over 40, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But I needed a flannel board, or there was like these people they were putting on the board pictures. I needed pictures. You see the picture that God paints for us here. Something that is profound to a a man in his 70s or 80s. It's a scholar in the faith that's profound to a child where they say, God has provided a way through the blood of the lamb. And the question I got for you today is, have you come to a place where you literally can take of this Lord's Supper and in your heart, you can take it by faith and you can take it in genuine gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done to set you free from judgment and from wrath through the perfect sacrifice of the Son. That's what this is all about. So today as we take of this Lord's Supper, we're taking it understanding that God has ushered in the new covenant through his blood. We're taking it, Celebrating, remembering the redemption that Christ has provided for us at the cross. And we're seeing this picture that we can't escape from, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. I tell you, I struggled for years in my life with assurance of salvation. Every time I heard a preacher offer the sinner's prayer, I doubled down and I'd pray it again. And I was so insecure in my faith and so insecure in my salvation. But then, as God lovingly brings us to those realities and was faithful to me to bear witness with my spirit and to give me comfort, I came to realize that I am safe because the blood has covered me. I am safe because I have a substitute. I'm safe from the destroyer, not because of my goodness, not because he, he looks into the house and sees that I'm pretty ethical and that I try to do good things as a preacher and a minister. No, I'm protected because of the perfect blood of the lamb. I'm protected because he took my place and that he has now imputed his righteousness to my account. Today, do you know Christ? Can you you celebrate that? Is it something foreign? Is it something you know the story of but have never personally applied? Today, you know, that that may be you. It could be today that, you know, we take the Lord's Supper now and and the people that, that need to take this are the people that have, by the grace of God, applied the blood of Christ to their hearts. The Holy Spirit does that. But, but it's the picture of by grace through faith. If you have trusted in Christ, this meal is for you because now you are literally rejoicing in what Christ has done to set you free. But maybe you're here today and you're contemplating the gospel like you never have in your life. I want you to watch. I want you to sit there. I want you to pray because as the scripture says in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. Today is... Today, and and you may be sitting there, and it could be that right now you can't explain it, but you in your heart know that you have to trust Jesus because you believe that he's your only hope. You believe he's your only way. You believe he's your only forgiveness. And today I want to invite you, trust in him. Remember, Jesus said, come unto me like a child, you got to come into me like a child. And you may be thinking, like, what, how do I do this? How am I to respond? I want you to think about the simplicity of how a child cries out for what they're crying out for. Just cry out to Jesus. Say, oh, Jesus, would you be my covering? Oh, Jesus, would you be the blood that protects me? Oh, Jesus, would you save me? And cry out to him. And today, you can be assured that what the scripture promises just as what God promised at the Passover, God will be faithful to you. He'll be faithful. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna allow you to go to the tables. There's a table back here, a table back here. And, and all we're gonna ask you to do, if, if, if you're a believer in Christ, and you know, we talk about this, that like in the church, these things actually have meaning, you know, like baptism doesn't save us but baptism is sort of the public identification mark that we are in the, the, the children of God, that we are a part of the church. And if that applies to you and you follow Christ, you've been publicly identified as being in Christ, I want you to go to the table. I want you to grab a, you got like a cup and there's a place to get bread and a little cup that's sealed and then bring it back to your seat. And then what we're gonna do is, once everybody's gotten one or both, we are then going to walk through this and we're gonna close out. So I'm gonna pray and after I'm done praying, Mike is gonna lead us and that's gonna be your opportunity to go and get what you need at the tables and go back to your seats. So let me pray for us. Lord, as we go into this time of the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, we'd never see it without remembering the beauty of the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And Lord, I pray that we would understand this meal is a meal of those who have now come into the new covenant because of the new covenant you inaugurated by your blood. And Lord, I pray today this would be a special time of of thankfulness, a special time of remembrance, a special time of just walking and trusting you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.